And welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in La Crosse. And Saturday saw the end of the 2012 season for the Green Bay Packers. They lost out at San Francisco 45-31 to under a deluge of yards and points from the arms and legs of 49er quarterback Colin Kaepernick. So we're obviously going to have a lot to talk about that game in particular. We're going to reflect a little bit on the 2012 season, maybe make some predictions and look ahead a bit to 2013 and this offseason that could prove to be very tumultuous for the Green Bay Packers and their fans. And also uh, have a few comments about there's still two games left next week and then, of course, the Super Bowl. So there's four teams still left in it in the NFL, and maybe we'll touch on them a little bit as well. But right now I'm going to bring Matt in here, and wow, Matt, it turned out to be kind of a tough fight at the beginning, and then it got out of hand in the second half and uh, really leaves everybody here in Packer Nation, and especially those within the organization, uh, wondering exactly where they stand right now. Yeah, and I think this is the type of... uh type of game and type of end of the season that I think if you and I were in person sitting face-to-face with maybe a a healthy stock of beer, we might be able to talk about this one for about 12 (laughs) hours straight. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's endless things to talk about here. I'm glad that we've kind of had a couple days or like a day and a half to really sit and reflect on this and Mm -hmm. kind of think about the loss. But there's so many angles to this, not only with the game, but obviously the end of the season with the players who are up for free agency, whatever coaching changes might have, player changes that... This was really the last run we had with this group of players, and it was pretty anticlimactic. Yeah, 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 it really was. And you could kind of see that towards the end of the game when they were kind of looking, showing people on our sidelines and seeing Aaron Rodgers talk to Greg Jennings and Donald Driver. And it's really hard in those situations as a fan where you really want to still be upset about what is going on, but you also don't want to lose kind of the weight of that moment. Uh, that was the one that stood out to me, seeing Rodgers shake hands with Jennings and seeing Jennings and Driver sit next to each other on the bench. And This team's going to look a lot different next year, and as far as from a competitive phase, maybe you could argue that's for the best, but uh, in a lot of ways there's, there's a pretty significant era of Packers football that in, in a lot of ways came to an end on Saturday night. Yep, and I I would have really liked if they could have had Driver and Jennings mic'd up over there when they were sitting by the bench. It, he, I mean, you knew what they were talking about, the two of them sitting next to each other there. And mm-hmm. I, you see Rodgers, like you mentioned, come over to Driver, shake his hand, and Driver just kind of seemed like, eh. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Rodgers said something to him, and he's like, it's all right, man. But, uh, you know, and losing Jennings, most likely we'd have to imagine he's probably going to be gone as well. Yeah. Uh, Plus numerous other guys too that we uh, that we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on during this podcast. But mm-hmm. you're right; it's there's a lot of guys that are going to be going, and whether that's for the best or not, I guess we probably won't know for until the next couple of years here. But it's definitely going to be a big shakeup. Yeah, without a doubt, uh, definitely some big changes coming in this off season. Let's dive into this game a little bit here, and I'm going to try to hold back on some of my thoughts about the macro meaning of this individual game to a little bit later on. I tend to, my brain goes to the big picture right away. I tend to lose some of the small details, so let's start small and work our way there. I mentioned last week that I thought that in order for the Packers to win this game, they were going to have to get out fast. And it looked great for that scenario that I thought they needed with a big pick six from Sam Shields, a 52-yard interception return for a touchdown to put the Packers up 7-0 less than five minutes into the game. And then, unfortunately, San Francisco, to their credit, responded right away, drove down the field, a 20-yard rush by Colin Kaepernick to tie the game up. And not to toot my own horn, which everybody knows that I can maybe do that sometimes, but I did text you shortly after that that I said, I think... 
they're, if they don't do something, Colin Kaepernick's going to run for 200 yards. And uh, he was pretty damn close to that, actually. I don't know. It's tough, I guess. What do you? What were your thoughts on kind of that first quarter while you were watching the game? Did you gain confidence, lose confidence? What were you thinking? I, w- I was still pretty confident. And, and going into the game, as the week kind of went on, I started feeling more and more confident going into this game. And I think the first quarter, I was still feeling kind of status quo, kind of the same way I felt going in. They had a nice drive, obviously, for a score. But, you know, things seemed pretty even. It really looked like both teams on the field were, were pretty even at that time. Uh, it wasn't really till later when they started to separate. So I guess I would say early in the game, and even in, up till about halftime and a little after, I was feeling pretty confident still that we were going to pull away and kind of obviously didn't turn out that way. But I guess at that point still, I was still feeling pretty good about our chances. Yeah, and I think they were doing okay. They actually went up 14-7, to and probably the big turning point of the game, and it's a argument that we made a couple of weeks ago that when you live with young players, sometimes they're going to kill you, <laughs> and that's kind of what we saw with Jeremy Ross. They had an opportunity to, to go down the field, maybe even take a two-score lead, and then boom, a fumble on a punt, and it's 14-14, and that the Packers never let again for the rest of the game, so... I guess what are your thoughts on that? I know a lot of people agreed with Randall Cobb coming off of punts. I was one of those, but I still was a little bit worried about uh, Jeremy Ross, and and I guess that was probably inevitable when you're dealing with a a young punt returner. Right, and I think that he had one other fumble earlier in the year, too. Well, not earlier in the year, but he's only been playing for a few weeks. But at the end of the regular season, I believe he had one that that we recovered as well. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of something in the back of my mind. But I think Cobb needs to be off of punt return but it's kind of Especially those situations. if you lose Jennings, he's never going right. to play punter. Right, yeah, absolutely. Again. But I, I think in that kind of a situation uh, in the playoffs, I, I guess I would have liked to see Cobb back there. But Ross had been doing really well, so mm-hmm. I don't think that's something you can really discredit the coaching staff with, that there was a mistake to have him out there. But that play was obviously gigantic. and mm-hmm. Although pretty much every other position and player on the field didn't have a very good game, I, so it's hard to blame everything on one play. But that was obviously the turning point, mm-hmm. and that was – like you said, they could have gone up two scores and really got a stranglehold on this game. And what I was saying when that was happening is if they get up two scores and all of a sudden Kaepernick has to, to only throw and maybe can't run as much, I mean, that really changes the game. And mm-hmm. and that didn't happen, obviously. And instead we're tied now, and it puts it you know basically to 0-0, and they were able to keep running their offense, which eventually just was our demise. And correct me if I'm wrong, the following drive is when Aaron Rodgers threw the interception that they were able to return to midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that's right, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and it, it was 14-14 when that happened. That's I'm pretty sure about that. So, um, yeah, you kind of lose a lot of the details over two days. but um, And then they were able to come back, and they were only down by three at halftime. Uh, Colin Kaepernick broke the quarterback rushing record for a playoff game with about probably four minutes left in the first half. So that obviously yeah. is not a good sign. <laughs> But then we moving on to the second half. The Packers kind of hung in there for a while. They tied it at 24, and then they, they completely fell apart. They couldn't move the ball on offense. They couldn't do much. Uh, obviously couldn't do anything on defense, almost gave up 600 total yards. When you allow the San Francisco 49ers to set playoff offensive records with guys like Joe Montana and Steve Young in their history, you've done a, a, a pretty bad day for, for you guys on defense. Right, and especially to a guy in his first ever playoff game, too. Eighth career start. Right, so like you mentioned, with all those guys in their history, to just get absolutely throttled against that team. Mm -hmm. And I know that they were doing some some different stuff than we're used to, but imagine if we had to play Tom Brady in that offense. It it seems like it's the the Niners' offense on steroids almost, a little (laughs) faster even. So I, I wouldn't have liked that matchup at all either. But, 
Yeah, you're right. The, the wheels completely fell off there at that point, and I'm sure that you were just as shocked as I was to see them come out in the second half and not do anything to change how they were defending the read option. Mm-hmm. And I know that's been really the big talking point here with the whole Dom Capers uh, point here and a lot of people calling for his job, but it was just absolutely mind-blowing how <laughs> nothing mm-hmm. changes after this guy kills you in the first half. And can I just say that I, I didn't realize that he was that fast. I mean, he was oh. like Rob. Robert Griffin out there. I mean, his stride was so long and just absolutely burnt everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, that 50-plus yard touchdown run he had, I had no idea he was that fast. Gr- granted, he he never got touched, but I was shocked that he was that fast. He might be as fast as any of our running backs. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, I'm, I mean, that did kind of shock me a little bit. But in the accuracy that he was throwing the ball with, there's a lot of those throws that we couldn't have done anything about. But mm-hmm. the thing that really frustrated me, as well as I'm sure everybody else in Packer Nation, was just the lack of effort or to change the game plan or do anything. It, really, every time they ran the read option, everybody jumped into the middle of the line of scrimmage to get the running back, and he could just easily boot around the outside and pretty much have his way and run towards the end zone for, you know, 50 yards or whatever it was. He did it a couple of times. So mm-hmm. it was uh, pretty shocking to me that they didn't change anything at halftime. Yeah, and, and let's go right into that because we kind of broke down the game a little bit here. Obviously, everybody saw it. Um, I don't know how much we can add as far as XOs other than a quick summary that we just had here. What do you think about the future of Dom Capers? I know you, you kind of mentioned what you thought about his performance in this game. I know you texted me uh, once the game looked like it was going to be out of hand, and I just kind of said, I think the game's over. And you said you could not believe how unprepared it appeared the defense was. And this is not the first time we've seen that in the playoffs over the last four years. What are your thoughts on the future of Dom Capers, and what would you do if you were the one in charge? Well, I think it's hard for me to say because I don't think they'll make a change, but I really think they have to. And really, there's been one out of the last four years where I feel like he's done a really nice job, Mm -hmm. and that was obviously 2010. 2009, we had the wild card debacle against the Cardinals where we gave up a ton of points to them, Mm -hmm. and then we had last year where we couldn't stop really anybody, and Mm -hmm. mediocre quarterbacks were thrown for 400 yards. And then, you know, this year they've had some good points, but it's been a lot. It's such a basic defense and it seems like he will not change from the game plan. And how you can come into a team that runs the read option with a mobile quarterback and seemingly not be prepared for it at all. Mm-hmm. I'm sure in some scenarios the, the players are in the right spots to make the plays, but just didn't. But it just really seemed like he didn't have any idea how to stop it. Mm-hmm. And I know we discussed this a little bit a couple weeks ago when we were talking about maybe Chip Kelly coming to the NFL, but these old stubborn defensive coordinators that when they see these new offenses, they might work themselves out of the league pretty quickly if they can't adapt to it and adapt or die, I guess. And in this case, uh, the Packers died because they couldn't stop it at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I really think that I would be in favor of making a change at this point just because – for the most part of his tenure here, he's been very good, but he hasn't shown an ability to be able to, to stop elite offenses. And, I mean, you'll go to the playoffs every year if you can beat Jacksonville and you can beat the Detroit Lions twice and split with the Vikings and sweep the Bears. I mean, you'll go to the playoffs every single year, but you can't take the Lions to the playoffs with you. you got to play some good teams when you get there. And outside of 2010, when they, they played some great defense, they're 1-3 in the playoffs, and the one is against Joe Webb and the Vikings. Yeah. I mean, they got destroyed by Colin Kaepernick, by Eli Manning, and by Kurt Warner. I mean, destroyed. Like, worse than a MAC team going to play a top-tier college football team. I mean, it's ridiculous. 
And I think, too, the, the whole thing I don't like, and I don't know if it's Dom or if it's Ted Thompson, but when you look at San Francisco and you look at the New York Giants and you even look at Baltimore, who I know was down this year, uh, but some of the other up-and-coming defenses that, that are building in this league, like Seattle, like Denver, they don't have a ton of these small little fast guys like we do. It, it almost is like our whole defense has a ton of athletes, but the scheme has to protect them because none of them can beat the guy in front of them one-on-one. Even Clay Matthews is spotty in that regard. Um, outside of B.J. Raji this year, pretty much any time a guy was singled up one-on-one, they didn't have a chance. Right. And unless you're playing a team that just isn't very talented – you're going to have problems on defense, and I don't know if it's the scheme or Ted Thompson or something, but that defense looked prehistoric trying to play that read option on Saturday. Yeah, completely agree, and I, I think you're right with the uh, the players kind of being outmatched. I mean, you look at our depth chart on defense, and it's like you kind of feel like you have to protect a lot of these players, but you, you can't protect everybody with double coverage. Yeah. You don't have 22 guys on the field, and you know even with Woodson back out there, you know obviously not looking quite like the same player anymore. Um, really, like you said, Raji maybe sometimes, and even Clay sometimes just gets shut down for big parts of the game. There's really, there was nobody out there on Saturday night that had a good game. Really, you can maybe say Sam Shields did, but he made a lot of mistakes too, even though he had a couple of really nice plays. Mm-hmm. But you know, nobody really played well, and throughout this whole season, there was really nobody that stuck out. I mean, Casey Hayward has a nice rookie year, but there was never that playmaker out there, and mm-hmm. I, it just it just shows, and I. I blame Dom a lot for what happened, but I think there is a lack of talent too. So I kind of think the blame goes around the board. But you know, like you said, I, I think they have to make a change, and I'm not one to pull a trigger on that. Not that I'm in the place to pull a trigger on that, but <laughs> you got um, Ted's cell phone number. Give him a call. Yeah, let him know what I think. But I, I think you have to in this situation. And I think he's run his course here. Uh, I think he's done some nice things, but like you said, the defense is just not creative at all, and there's just so many holes, and I think there's too many players out there for that to really be happening, for us to be that bad against the 49ers. Yeah, and I think they do have depth, but they don't have any horrible players on defense, right, but exactly. even guys like, like Woodson, you said, he's gets a pass because he's been banged up a lot the last three or four years. He's 36 years old. Uh, Clay Matthews had a bad game, but he's been pretty much great this whole season. Uh, the one that really disappoints me is Tremont Williams, because he seems to have taken over for Charles Woodson as the guy who completely seems oblivious to the rules of playing defensive back in the NFL. Uh, he had another stupid penalty on Saturday, and he completely reacts like, you mean I can't grab a guy by his collar and stop right. him from running his route? Um, he he, do, he has the stupid penalties that Woodson used to get in 09 and in uh, 08 and when he was probably the best player in the NFL, but he doesn't make the plays that Woodson was making. He's one that's really frustrated me. Yeah, and it's, it's, it is really frustrating with him, too. I mean, he's one of my favorite players on the team, but you see in 2010 he looks elite. You see last year he was banged up, wasn't as good. The first half of this year he shut down Brandon Marshall and looked like one of the best corners in the game, and we had that discussion on the show. But towards the end of the year and, and yesterday, he got destroyed by uh, Michael Crabtree. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, how you shut down a guy like Brandon Marshall, but you can't hang with Michael Crabtree? Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a pretty decent receiver, but he's not elite, and he just absolutely rocked the Packers' secondary. I know Shields covered him a little bit, too, but they had no answers for the guy. I mean, I don't know his specific statistics, but that's got to be one of the biggest games of his career. Oh, and, yeah, I would think so. 
I know he had a pretty big game a couple of weeks ago, but that's not something he go, he doesn't go off like that very often, and mm-hmm. he really embarrassed our secondary, and that was honestly pretty embarrassing to me too to not only see Kaepernick go off like that, but to see a guy like Michael Crabtree just completely be you know to have no answers for a guy like that. Yeah, nine catches, 119 yards, and two touchdowns mm-hmm. uh, was his game uh, on Saturday, and that that's uh, pretty pretty embarrassing. I'm doing a real quick check here. He only had seven other 100-yard receiving games in his career. Wow. So, yeah, not good. I think, though, another thing with the defense that is the reason that they were so bad this year against some pretty good teams is due to the other side of the football. And I know that might sound a little bit radical, but this defense was able to compete in 09 and in a lot of ways in 2010 and especially in 2011 because other teams were terrified of the Packer offense. Would you imagine a team like the Minnesota Vikings a few weeks ago or the 49ers on Saturday committing to the run to break down our defense if they still thought of the Packers' offense as the offense that could score 35 on you before halftime. And I think that's a problem. If you look at the game on Saturday, it says 31 points that they scored. Well, one of them was a pick six, and the other one happened with less than 40 seconds down by 21. They scored 17 points in the competitive phase of this game. They were the fifth scoring, highest scoring team in the NFL this year. I did the numbers real quick. The reason they got that high, they only scored about 23 points a game against NFC opponents. They scored 37 a game in their four AFC games. So they really manipulated that stat by blowing out Houston and crushing Tennessee. I think that the problem with this team going forward, and I thought of this while I was watching the fourth quarter of that game, they are tremendously talented on offense. But watching them many times this year, and especially on Saturday, They reminded me of, like, the Buffalo Bills in, like, 1995 or 1996 or watching the St. Louis Mike Martz Rams in 2004, where when you're playing the Detroit Lions or when you're playing some lesser teams, your stuff still works. It still doesn't work to the tune of 49 points, but you can still beat these teams pretty easily. But the teams with the defensive talent and the intelligent coaches, your stuff doesn't fool anybody anymore. And it's pretty obvious that the Packers didn't have the answer to the counter move that was discovered at the end of 2011. And this entire year, they could hardly move the ball against elite defenses. And the most damning of those is getting crushed by the New York Giants in the 2011 playoffs, having an entire offseason to fix your offensive scheme against that defense, and then coming out and getting beat even worse. And then in week one, having the 49ers completely dissect your offense, and then come back later in the season in an even bigger game and having the exact same thing happen to you. I think that this offense needs to go back to the drawing board. It might be the strength of the team. But it's very clear that the NFL and the elite teams have found a counter move to their offense, and the Packers at this point have shown no ability to correct for that. Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, look at New England. I, they run a, they or at least ran a similar offense, and they completely mixed it up this year to kind of throw people off, and it's been really successful. And it, it's almost mind blowing to have a so-called you know offensive genius like Mike McCarthy who doesn't seem to change the game plan or be creative at all. And I, I know that's kind of the same thing I said with Dom Capers. But, mm-hmm. yeah, how do you go against the Giants and lose in the 2011 playoffs, play them again the next year and still can't do anything? Mm-hmm. And then same thing with San Francisco, uh, twice in one year. 
and all year I've talked about how I thought this team had another year they could go to when they wanted to, but I was wrong. <laughs> they didn't have it, and we saw that in this game against San Francisco. Teams have figured out the offense that we were doing all of last year, and they just don't have that gear anymore. They can't turn it on. And it's kind of frustrating, and it's surprising, but I guess if you're just going to keep trying to pound the same thing down everybody's throats, I mean, they're going to figure it out eventually, regardless of how talented you are. Mm-hmm. You can't just run Jordy Nelson and Greg Jennings on flies every play and expect that it's going to keep working. We didn't hit hardly any deep balls this year. Mm-hmm. they got to start thinking of ways to mix it up, and you know, it, was Joe Philbin that valuable to this team, do you think? Or was it? do you think that they just keep trying to run the same thing and people are figured it out now? Or, you know, I wonder if maybe some of these guys had still been around that we've had in the past that something might be changing more, but and that McCarthy on his own maybe he can't get it done quite as much as some of these other guys did. Well, I think Joe Philbin certainly was valuable, but I don't put much stock into him as the reason this has happened to our offense. You know what it is? You are the Green Bay Packers. You've had some of the best offensive players in the history of football, going back to Bart Starr and Don Hudson and Brett Favre. And in 2009, you scored more points than any Packer team in history. In 2010, you won the Super Bowl with Aaron Rodgers becoming the star of the league and winning Super Bowl MVP. And in 2011, you scored the second most points in the history of the NFL. You don't think people weren't going to try to break that down? And weren't going to try to focus on you in the offseason if you're on their schedule. Maybe they don't put as much time into the Chicago Bears offense or in the Minnesota Vikings offense. They say, listen, we're spending a week in April to figure out how we're going to stop this guy. And I just think it's catching up. You look at all the other greatest offenses of all time. You look at the Buffalo Bills in 88 and 89 when they're trying to figure out what they're doing. Then in 90 and 91, they're destroying teams. They're scoring at will. They're scoring 30 points a game in an era where that doesn't happen. And then the Denver Broncos in the 91 playoffs figure out a way to slow it down, and everybody mimics it. And Buffalo's still good enough to go to the playoffs because they can beat the bad teams, but when they play Dallas or they play Pittsburgh or they play the 49ers, they can't score points because those teams have the talent to do it. Same thing happened to the Rams. Same thing happened to Mike Shanahan's offense in Denver. I mean, this stuff just happens. When you're an elite team that wins a championship, the rest of the league takes notice, and they find a way to try to slow you down. And you mentioned the New England Patriots. Look at their offense of today compared to their offense of 2007. Compare that to the offense that won three Super Bowls. They almost look like three separate teams. They're constantly reinventing themselves. And the Packers are going to have to do that because saying Aaron Rodgers is good is your solution is not a solution. We've seen a lot of guys who have been really, really good. And, I mean, even Brett Favre was torching the league. And then when teams kind of figured out their offense, he was pretty darn pedestrian until they reinvented themselves with the run game in the early 2000s. Right. And and that's a scary thought. And to think back to that the 96 team when we thought they were going to win all sorts of Super Bowls because Brett was unstoppable and it never happened again. And mm-hmm. I know back in 2010 we were thinking this team's going to win at least like three more uh, with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. But mm-hmm. it's kind of coming to that scary realization that it's not quite as given as it looks like sometimes when other teams adjust to you. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm kind of wondering and hoping that this game against San Francisco and maybe this whole year is enough for them to realize that we can't be this arrogant and can't just think because Aaron Rodgers is good, like you mentioned, and that our receivers can usually win one-on-one, that we can just keep running this same offense and we're going to win it. Mm -hmm. Um, I heard something today on the radio when I was listening that I hadn't heard 
before. In regards to Aaron Rodgers throwing deep on third and one so often and third and short, mm-hmm. and it was because he thought, put our players one-on-one with their players and we're going to win. I want the ball in my hands and I want to be throwing, he said, I guess, um, to this reporter. And that's kind of their whole mindset of the team. It's like, well, they mm-hmm. might stop it eight out of ten times, but at least I'm throwing it and it's, we're throwing it to our receivers. It's, yeah. it's, it's It seems so arrogant and mm-hmm. it's obviously not working anymore. So I'm hoping maybe this loss is enough to have Rodgers and McCarthy maybe open their eyes a bit and try something new. Yeah, you sure uh, you sure hope so because they looked like a team who ran out of answers this year, especially when they're playing against good teams. I mean, if you look at their, their wins this year, they got to the playoffs on the strength of a pretty soft middle of the season, beating up on the Cardinals and the Jags. And not even convincingly beating those teams. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and, and the other thing is, too, is when people think of, they did the same thing with Favre, and it kind of is the argument with Dan Marino, uh, it's like, how could this guy have not won more titles? Or how did Marino not win a championship? And people are saying that, well, how could Rodgers not? He's so great. The problem is, when you think of that, it, you don't exist in a vacuum by yourself. Just Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy seeing how good they can get. Colin Kaepernick's 25 years old. Russell Wilson's 24. Matt Ryan is 27. Eli Manning's only 32 years old. All of these guys are likely going to be in the league as long as Aaron Rodgers is. And... People think how good Aaron Rodgers is, and he's great. But you think back to Brett Favre. 1996 Brett Favre would have went to the Dome at America's Center, or whatever it was called in the, in the greatest show on turf, Rams years, and he probably could have beat the Rams, or he could have beat Philadelphia, or he could have beat Eli's Giants. But he didn't get to be 27-year-old Brett Favre playing against these guys. He had to be 34, 36-year-old Brett Favre. So when Rodgers is trying to beat... Colin Kaepernick in his prime or Russell Wilson in his prime he's not going to be Aaron Rodgers that can escape from pressure and run for a first down like he can now he's going to be older he's going to be less effective it's just the way the game goes and so now you start to think Aaron's great but you're running out of room in the NFC to even get back to another Super Bowl right and that's the scariest thought of all I mean because especially now that there's so much change taking place and we're going to be going through maybe a slight reconstruction period. We're definitely not rebuilding. I mean, you're never rebuilding when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers and some of these other pieces on the team. Mm -hmm. But we might not be as good as we were this year even Mm -hmm. or or last year. So, you know, that's kind of the scary thought is we're kind of taking a slight decline. And you might look at this as kind of the 99 through 2001 Packers, kind of comparable to that, Mm -hmm. when they lost a lot of the talent from the Super Bowl teams and weren't that same team going forward for the next few years until, like you said, they kind of reinvented themselves towards the end of Brett's career. But mm-hmm. we could be kind of potentially going through that same type of period now where we have a couple of those key guys left, but everybody's getting their um, – and if some of these young guys don't develop well and become stars in their own right, or if we don't hit in the draft here in the next couple of years, mm-hmm. we could be looking at that same kind of a team that's you know always around the playoffs but never really doing a whole lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they're really going to drop off that considerably like you mentioned, but, you know, uh, what's the point if you're just going to go get crushed in the divisional round every every year? Right. And you got to think when the, the term that everybody always brings up is the window of opportunity. Well, I was trying to think of that today while I was driving home from work about this Packer team, and you think about the guys they might be losing or just the fact that it's run its course. You've been running the same offense for five years with the same quarterback. I would say that 08 is kind of a transition year. You got Dom and Clay and B.J. Raji uh, in 2009. So I would say that's the beginning of this. Rogers' second year was the beginning of this window of opportunity. Mm-hmm. 
those usually only last about three or four years, and lucky they they were able to get it done in 2010. But looking to next year's team, do you really consider them to be one of the top-tier Super Bowl contenders, seeing what Seattle did this year, seeing what Colin Kaepernick did in his eighth career start on Saturday? I mean, certainly they got to be one of the favorites to win the division, but do you have any confidence in this team this next? I mean, obviously it's way too early, but this next year, I mean, they're going to have to significantly improve in a lot of areas if you think they're going to contend for a championship, I, I, I personally feel. Well, absolutely, and that's why I said they need to really hit in the draft or maybe land a free agent because if you think of this team right now, doesn't really feel like that much of a Super Bowl contender. I mean, yeah, maybe there's a slight chance they might make a run or something like that, but definitely doesn't feel like one of the top three or four best teams in the NFL. Mm -hmm. So on top of that, you're losing guys like Greg Jennings and Donald Driver. I know didn't play much, but you could be losing a lot of other pieces. Um, So the team we have now, minus players, how do you expect that to really be any better and be a competitor? And these teams like Seattle and San Francisco are only going to keep getting better that we're going to have to deal with. And you would think Chicago's going to be back again, probably back on top. Mm-hmm. New York's going to be there. So, you know, unless, like we said, do something here in the draft or in free agency, likely not getting a ton better. Uh, and these teams are all still getting older and more experienced and getting better. It's kind of hard to to believe that we really have a great chance of going on a run through a playoffs of like three or four of these teams um, with the team yeah. that we currently have assembled. Well, and the thing that really came out of that game on Saturday for me, which I, I kind of caught myself by surprise when I had the thought initially and then thought about it for a few minutes and decided that this is actually a possibility, that when you see a game like Saturday, it almost makes you wonder – the shelf life of Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. And I'm not saying next year or even the year after. He's got a Super Bowl. But if he can't fix this offense, how much longer can you really have him as your as your coach? I mean, because you can't count. You just had Brett Favre, and then you had Aaron Rodgers. What are the odds you're getting a third in a row right. um, after that? So I think you almost are going to have to make some drastic moves to try to salvage the end of Rodgers' career if you don't turn it around. And you think a Super Bowl-winning coach could have the reign to stay as long as he wants. But it was a dramatic drop-off for this offense this year. And I remember I texted you, it seemed like every game in the last three three weeks of the season, and I didn't have a chance to go back and look at the numbers. Maybe I will for next week. But they had to have gone three and out to start the game in at least half of their games this year. Yeah. And it just seems like this team wasn't prepared. They didn't have the answers. And if he can't fix that... By 2015, you almost have to wonder if you have to make a change at head coach, too, just because sometimes you've run your course and your stuff doesn't work anymore and you just need to try some new things for him and for the players underneath him. So I think Saturday kind of made me think that, wow, it actually is a legitimate possibility that McCarthy won't be here in four years. You're right, and I I guess I haven't really thought about that too much, and it's almost hard to imagine considering it seems he and Ted Thompson are so closely tied together um, for the Packers, but if, say next year, God forbid you miss the playoffs or even have a quick exit again, I think that the pressure's really going to be on, and I don't think he would be gone after that, another bad loss, but Mm -hmm. I think that's when the heat really comes on. So I think if they don't do anything next year, although he just won a Super Bowl a few years ago, we've seen it before, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you think about, Coaches that have, have done a lot for their teams, guys like, although maybe they haven't won Super Bowls, but like Jeff Fisher, Tony Dungy, or a guy like Mike Shanahan who had, mm-hmm. um, after a few years after you won a Super Bowl, if you're all of a sudden, you can't just bank on that forever. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if your team's underachieving and you can't seem to get anything going on offense, 
the fan base is going to start getting irritated. And I know there were a lot of McCarthy haters even before they won the Super Bowl, too. So we're going to see a lot of those guys come back out, Mm -hmm. Um, people starting to call for his job like they are for Dom Capers right now. So I think you're right. I think that you know even as early as next year, if they don't make the playoffs or have a quick exit, we could start see the heat on him right away in that kind of a scenario, too. Yeah, and the thing that I just thought of while you were talking there is you wonder – you saw it with Aaron Rodgers towards the end of the season, and you saw it with some of the comments that he had made, not only after that Minnesota game, but after this past game, that I think he is starting to sense that he might be even at or past even the halfway point of his career. Yeah. If this offense is still sputtering against good teams and is struggling to score 20 points on a consistent basis, I know this year they didn't. They scored 27 points a game, but like I said, that was really buoyed by beating up on some really bad teams. If they come out and they can't score against these good teams uh, next year, you wonder what happens if McCarthy and Rodgers' relationship goes south. And all of a sudden, they aren't having the the working relationship that they have now. And quite frankly, if they don't play well offensively next year, I could see that going south pretty fast. And I'm not saying Rodgers is a prima donna or anything. I don't appreciate that. Yeah, I know you don't appreciate that, Aaron, but I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that I could see the frustration for both of them kind of seeing that the end might be near and that things could get a little bit ugly uh, going forward. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I, I mean, you pretty much basically said it, but I think it's a very touchy subject with, you know, wasting these prime years of Rodgers' career. And like you said, if he feels like he's already maybe at the apex and just starting to come down, I, he's going to probably start feeling pretty frustrated. Mm-hmm. I know he probably wasn't real happy with the game plan not only in San Francisco, but for most of the year with how conservative it is. You know, he wants to sling it pretty much all the time. So mm-hmm. if he feels like he's maybe kind of coming down a little bit and the offense isn't running the way he's going to, you're right, he's not like a prima donna or a diva or anything, but he's definitely willing to speak his mind, and I think that's definitely something that could happen. Yeah, and real quick, um, I'm pretty sure these are accurate because I did them myself with my own knowledge of the NFL rotation. There might be a home and away toggled between uh, San Francisco and Atlanta, but... Real quick, if you're worried about good teams and the Packers' ability to play against them, which over the last probably 13 months they haven't had a lot of success, next year they host the Falcons, Redskins, Eagles, Steelers, Browns, Bears, Vikings, and Lions, and travel to the Giants, Cowboys, Ravens, Bengals, Bears, Vikings, Lions, and 49ers. So enjoy 2013 if you can't fix your offense. All right, well, let's move on to some of the personnel things. We hinted at some of them, and uh, now that maybe we can look towards the future a little bit and try to pretend like <laughs> well, it's a it's a bright future for the Packers, um, let's talk about some of the personnel moves. And the big one I want to talk about was uh, Greg Jennings. It appears that the Packers are willing to let him at least test free agency, if not outright let him leave. And I actually saw a Yahoo article today where they were talking about Greg Jennings potentially leaving. And also Donald Driver, obviously, is I, everybody would be shocked if he was back. Right. But they were mentioning how Greg Jennings is going to test the free agent market and he wants big money. And then they mentioned later in the article a very bizarre paragraph where they said, and the Packers also have to pay guys like Clay Matthews, B.J. Raji, and James Jones, all cornerstones of the franchise. <laughs> and I'm like... That was kind of curious, and if they really are going to give money, big money to James Jones, wouldn't you rather let James Jones walk and then overpay for Jennings? Uh, I just, to me, and then I'll let you have your piece, 
people are talking about this breakout season for James Jones and talking about Jordy Nelson like he's a superstar because of last season. James Jones has been here since 2007. Jordy Nelson has been here since 2008. And people are talking like they're equal to Greg Jennings, who has pretty much been a Pro Bowl caliber player since the first week he got here. If I had to pick somebody out of that receiving core, I'm picking Greg Jennings, and I'm not even going to think about it very long. So if if they're going to... And he's only... He's getting close to 30, but... Reggie Wayne is five years older than him, and he's still a pretty good player. And if you look at some of the other recent guys, Terrell Owens and Torrey Holt and Jimmy Smith and Isaac Bruce and Marvin Harrison, all of those guys were super effective up to age 35. I know this is partially due because I think Greg Jennings is awesome and he's one of my favorite players just as a human being, but I don't understand why it seems like they're so uh, nonchalant about letting this guy leave. Well, I, I think one of the main reasons is just because of how much he's asking for it. I, I agree with you. I, maybe not quite to the extent that you feel it. I, he's the best out of that group. Um, I would definitely agree with that. But I feel like Jordy Nelson at least is kind of fairly close and could take over as a number one. And I, I think I have never been a big James Jones fan. And when they gave him money a couple of years ago, I didn't. I will be the first to admit I didn't agree with it. Mm-hmm. But some of the catches he's made this year, I mean, he hasn't had a lot of good balls thrown his way. He's had to make a lot of things happen on his own. And I think he's really proved to me that he's ready to step in as a number two so I don't feel that you can really replace Jennings as the number one but he's been so banged up the last couple of years that he's barely seen the field that often and and when he's been on the field he's been good but he hasn't you know blown me away I guess and I I think that's made me feel a little bit more like they can let him go it's definitely going to be um it's going to be a hindrance to the offense a little bit but if you're going to have to pay this guy 10 12 million dollars i I don't think that it's worth it at this point, especially when you don't know how much he's going to play. And I, I don't know. I, I think that some the market isn't going to quite be what he thinks it's going to be, mm-hmm. I think in large part because of the injuries. So I'm, I wouldn't be completely shocked if he was back either. I don't, I, it almost seems like a foregone conclusion that he's gone already. But mm-hmm. if he doesn't get the money he's asking for and, and Driver retires, I mean, there's still definitely a place for him on this team. Mm-hmm. Um, again, so I agree with you. I don't want to lose him. He's the best of the bunch. But... You know, I think if there was ever a time that you could part ways with him, if if you can keep obviously James Jones and Jordy Nelson and maybe even bring Finley back, I feel like it kind of at least lessens the blow a little bit about losing an elite receiver like Jennings, I guess. Yeah, and I, I didn't even think about the injuries. I that's a that's a good point. Maybe they should resign James Jones because he's the only receiver that doesn't burst into flames when he puts a uniform exactly. on. Uh, every single other guy in that group has had a lot of injury problems over the last three or four years, and James Jones, I don't think, has been hurt at all. Yeah, he's always there. Yeah, so um, obviously you have Randall Cobb and, and stuff as well, but I don't know. I just would hate to see that happen. And you're right, I think the market isn't going to be quite as good for him. And I think one of the reasons is, if you look at the last even 10 years or so, how many wide receiver busts have there been outside of the Bay Area with Crabtree and all the Oakland guys <laughs> I mean, it, and the Detroit Lions? It feels like you got A.J. Green and you got a lot of guys that just seem to be great right away and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of teams that don't have at least one really good receiver and you don't even have to spend high picks on them I mean look at guys like even Randall Cobb and Jordy Nelson and and uh, Victor Cruz and stuff none of those guys are first round picks right yeah and I, I agree I think that he's he's always been a receiver that that puts up some good numbers and is very productive but he never really like blows you away with his speed or mm-hmm. or downfield ability that much I mean he's a great all-around receiver I would kind of compare him too. I, I like Tyson Marvin Harrison before, maybe even Reggie mm-hmm. Wayne. Um, probably Reggie Wayne is a pretty close comparison. But I think, mo- like you said, most other teams already have a number one. 
teams like maybe like Miami that are really desperate or Jacksonville might kind of give them the money he's asking for. But there's also a lot of other receivers in this market right now that are probably going to go and be teams' choices before him even. So mm-hmm. I, I guess maybe unless Philbin really wants him down there in Miami because he's worked for him, I don't think he's going to get that 10 to $12 million that he's looking for. Yeah, and that's a that's a good point. Um, we'll we'll see what happens with that. I do think though that one of the other guys that they've been throwing around about getting rid of is Jermichael Finley, mm-hmm. and I think if you lose Greg Jennings as much as a knucklehead uh, that Jermichael Finley is, um, I think you almost would have to keep him if you right. lose Greg Jennings because I think we saw that at different times the last few years is that. Those two seem to be the best at moving and influencing the defense. And when it's just James Jones running out there with Randall Cobb, well, maybe Randall Cobb can become that guy, but when it was just James Jones and Jordy Nelson, a lot of teams didn't seem to care. (laughs) Just kind of played their regular game. I I completely agree with you. I think you have to keep one. And as much as I have kind of not really cared for Finley the last couple of years, like you said, he's definitely one of those guys that the defense has to worry about. And although he may not catch a ton of balls, he definitely influences the way they prepare and the way that they cover the other guys as well. Mm-hmm. He's always going to draw one or two guys on him at all times, kind of freeing things up more uh, for Jordy or James Jones and especially Cobb in the slot. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you can't let both go because I think that's too much of a hit to what your offense does. And it's going to make things really hard for the other guys out there if you can't bring somebody else in. So I agree. As much as I'd rather have Jennings back, I feel like, We'll be able to bring Finley back at a much cheaper price, and I know a lot of people don't like him that much, and he drops some balls, but you can't let both these guys go, I mm-hmm. don't think. I, I just think that will uh, hurt what we do way too much, especially without an offensive line out there. If if you're losing two of your big weapons, I, I think that's really going to hurt. Yeah, and in Finley's defense, has anybody played better than him on that offense since Thanksgiving? I mean, he's been really good, I think. He's, he yeah, hasn't he's dropped hardly any passes. And quietly, uh, I read this today, which shocked me, he had 61 catches this year, which is actually the record for a tight end in for wow. the Green Bay Packers, which I had no idea. Oh. Um, you would have thought maybe uh, Keith Jackson or Mark Chimura or even Bubba Franks might have. Well, Bubba didn't catch a lot of passes. He caught a lot of touchdowns. But like a guy like uh, Keith Jackson or, or Chimura or, or Paul Kaufman way back in the day would have beat that. Right. But uh, very interesting there. So uh, some other guys that they might get rid of, I guess we'll throw these names out here and we can just talk about them without too much setup here. I guess the big one is uh, Donald Driver. What do you think? Um, well, I think uh, I'm sure you're probably in the same boat as me, but I was hurting at the end of the, that game watching him sit on the sidelines. and mm-hmm. um, I was rooting my head off when he went out there on uh, punt protection on the, uh, the one play when they showed him on TV. But mm-hmm. probably the thing that really kind of cushioned the blow of the loss to me and took my anger away from that was when I saw them with under two minutes to go driving down the field and he's sitting on the sidelines down three scores. Mm-hmm. Why is one of your best receivers in the history of your franchise, uh, a guy who's been a staple on this team for 10 years, mm-hmm. a guy that everybody loves, the fans love him, how is he not on the field in that type of a situation? Is he really that bad that you just can't even trust him to be on the field in a two-minute drill when you're trying to score, when you're getting blown out? Yeah, for I, no reason, score for nothing. Right, and I can't really go into exactly how I feel with, about that without my maybe my eyes watering up or I start swearing or something here. I was that mad, and yeah. I... Uh, Seeing him on the sidelines just absolutely infuriated me. It's kind of been that way all season. I feel like there's no way he's that bad that he can never see the field. And I I don't want to read too much into maybe there being something between him and McCarthy because I'm sure there isn't, and I'm sure McCarthy is just playing his best receivers he feels he has. But mm-hmm. I think in a situation like that, you've got to go out with class and you've got to let this guy on the field. And I, I really feel that that was pretty classless, and it really, really made me upset. Yeah, and I guess I was at that point not really taking notice of who was and wasn't on the field, but 
uh, I probably would have been. I'm not as angry as you because he's been your favorite Packer for at least ten years. Right. But uh, yeah, I. That's ridiculous. And I mean, I was irritated by that earlier in the season too. And how can he be that bad? I mean, when you look at the the giant game when everybody sucked, when Jordy Nelson couldn't get open, and Greg Jennings looked like he was playing with a broken freaking leg, dude. <laughs> and and Donald Driver is tearing them apart, but you still only had him on the field for like 12 plays. And you're talking about the divisional round game from last year, right? Yeah, against the Giants. And then this year, when they're getting in where they have Jennings hurt, when they have Jordy Nelson hurt, and then they play Boykin. I'm like, come on, are you telling me Boykin's better than Donald Driver? I mean, yeah, he had eight catches all season, and I kind of hope he retires just because I want him to be a career Packer. But there's no way that he's that bad, I think, at this point. And I don't know, maybe they are trying to just freeze him out or whatever. But um, if that's the case, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. Well, and I think that we've heard a lot of players be frustrated about the way that the Packers handle their older players. I mean, we've heard Jennings come out and, and talk about it, you know, candidly with the, with the media about how, oh, I probably know what's going to happen because I know what happens to the Packers when they reach this age in their career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, you know, they, I, he I called out it. the Cullen Jenkins move again today, very subtly. He said it doesn't matter if you're number four, number 80, number 77, or number 85, the Packers do what's best for the Packers. Yeah. And and guys are still pissed about that one. i got to say, it does take a lot of guts to be able to do that as a front office and kind of be cold like that and do what you think is best for the franchise. But I think especially in this case, it hurts for, for Driver to be treated that way mm-hmm. when you can't tell me that with his experience, um, and even still the way he's playing, that he's not better than Boykin at this point. Yeah. Or even last week when Boykin wasn't suited up, and he, Driver's still not suited up for the team yeah. uh, because they wanted to suit up Jeremy Ross and whoever else. So, you know, I you got to give, I guess, the front office some props for doing what they feel that's right uh, without caring too much what everybody else thinks. But, I, man, I think in this kind of a scenario, I... I I think that that was pretty classless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I guess we can move on and talk about some of the defensive guys. The the big ones on defense, I'll, I'll start with the, the lesser of the two big ones on defense, is what do they do with A.J. Hawk? And he, once again, looked like he's got concrete for feet. <laughs> he looks like he can't move his hips. <laughs> and um, I don't know, I think he's, uh, I think he might have run his course as a Packer. And he's just kind of that stereotypical, you know, just slightly above average linebacker. He's not going to make any huge plays. He's just probably going to make a lot of tackles. And I think that's okay if you've got another guy next to him making plays and if you're not paying him that much money. But really, he's he's got a pretty big salary right now. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe next to Desmond Bishop for a full season finally next year. If he is around, we might see a little more from him. But you're right. I, I think with what the money he demands and – and what we actually see on the field, I think he was a big reason why we couldn't handle that read option is because he couldn't move and react to the plays quick enough. So especially against a team like San Francisco, I, I think he was definitely overwhelmed. And mm-hmm. you know, he never really does anything to stand out. He's always there. He might be you know, one of the two guys making a tackle on a running back at the time, but never really does anything yeah, else. Yeah, when was the last time he forced a turnover? I'm trying to look that up right now. I don't remember the last time him forcing a turnover or anything. Well, let's see. According to uh, this, he recovered a fumble in 2010. And, and then before that, uh, oh, he also had some interceptions in 2010. But that's the last time he's forced wow. a turnover. Uh, he, he had, his whole stat line this year was three sacks. He had no interceptions, no passes defense, no forced fumbles, and no fumble recoveries. Last year he had uh, three passes defensed 
and none of the other. Uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I, I just feel like there's other guys you could bring in that can do the same thing, or even players that are already on the team that can pretty much do the same thing as him for a lot less money. So I, I think you're right. I don't know if they'll get rid of him, but I I feel like that's definitely a guy that they can they can do without moving forward. Mm-hmm. He definitely looked like a guy that can't respond very well to the new NFL that's emerged the last couple yeah. of years. And the big one on defense, obviously, is Charles Woodson, who uh, I thought played okay against the Vikings last week. I didn't really notice him too much against the San Francisco 49ers, which is probably not a good thing considering a, a quarterback ran for so many yards, and he's a safety that's a run stuffer a lot of times. Uh, I know this one's probably tough for you, too, because he's uh, probably your other favorite player for the Packers. Uh, what do you do with Charles Woodson at this point, uh, 36 years old? Well, I I would really like to see him back um, just because I want to see a full season with him at safety because I really feel that he can excel at that position. He's definitely not a cornerback anymore, and I think we've seen that. But I feel like he can definitely still contribute if he gets to play safety more and a full season of that, and I think we might actually see what he can do back there. We saw Rod Woodson do it at the end of his career, and mm-hmm. I really think Charles Woodson can do that and still make plays back there that guys like Morgan Burnett or, or John McMillan aren't going to make. Mm-hmm. Um so although he's obviously not a long-term solution for the next couple, two or three, four years maybe, he's definitely a guy that's better than anything else we have right now. So if if you can keep him around for a little bit longer, see what he can do with a full year at safety, I would really like to see him back. I hate to just let him go after you know a, a full season where he pretty much missed the whole thing with an injury. Yeah, and I... You make a good point about the safety. That would be nice to see him get a chance to do that. I think they'd have to restructure his deal, perhaps, if he were to stay. It's another one of the things, especially if you're going to have a ton of changes, if you do lose Dom Capers or if you're losing guys like A.J. Hawk and you're restructuring your defense and you're losing some cornerstones and team leaders in other areas, you almost think of of the Packers in 99 and 2000 where you're like, well... Leroy Butler really doesn't do much for us anymore, but we can't lose him too. We just lost Reggie, and we lost Mark Chimura, and we lost uh, you know some of our other leaders on the team in the last couple of years. we got to keep some of these guys around just to keep the locker room in order. Right. And I almost wonder if he's in that role now. And I think he's a more effective player than, than maybe like a Donald Driver is in that situation at this point. But, but again, like you mentioned, that's kind of the Packers' M.O. You feel like he's kind of a guy they might think about, is there an easy way we can get rid of him? But I, I hope not. Um, I guess the other couple of quick ones here is uh, Cedric Benson. Any interest in seeing him return? I wouldn't mind seeing him back, but I feel like what we saw from Dewan Harris is pretty much identical to what Benson was doing at the beginning of the year. So um, I wouldn't mind sticking with Dewan Harris in that situation and maybe letting Benson walk. But, again, if they bring him back, I was pretty impressed with what I saw at the beginning of the year. So mm-hmm. um, either way, I think we can do without him. But if they bring him back, I think that's just a little more depth back there. I'm going to make a radical statement. I'd like them to go find a real running back this offseason. <laughs> Maybe one that actually, you know, can run the football and get more than two and a half yards of carry. Yeah. And and maybe run the ball like you're actually using it as an effective means to move the football down the field and not just a way to get people to respect your passing game <laughs> or respect your running game so you can pass. We'll see. Yeah, I guess I don't care either way about Cedric Benson. I guess if he decides to stay down and be uh, – DJ Funk Master or whatever the heck his name was, <laughs> uh, he can he can do that, and I won't yeah. I won't care too much. And Mason Crosby, uh, what do you think they do with him? Well, uh, if we've realized anything from what we've seen over the past few years is that they're gonna keep him around and probably give him a bonus too. Um, <laughs> 
It yeah, like driver that. sucks, but uh, he can't play when we're down 21 with four seconds left. But Mason Crosby is a franchise cornerstone. Yeah, regardless of how bad he plays, he's. It seems like they're tied to him for some reason, and um, I, I'm assuming he'll be back. And, and I would like to see them get somebody else, but I I can almost guarantee he's going to be back. Maybe Mike McCarthy gave him the speech that Holmgren gave to Brett Favre that we're joined at the hip and we'll either go to the top together or wind up in the dumpster together. But yeah, weird to do for a kicker, but it really, <laughs> it really seems that way. Maybe he thought he was somebody else. I don't know. <laughs> There's got to be four kickers a year that come out of college. And when you saw Greg Zerline and you saw, was it Justin Tucker for Baltimore and Blair Walsh? Justin Tucker, is that right? Is that the the Baltimore guy? Yep. Okay, yeah, Tucker didn't sound right for some reason. And then Blair Walsh, you saw these three guys that became, you know, some of the best kickers in the league in their first year. Almost every team has a good one. Except the Badgers. Except the Badgers, yeah. They had a dynasty of kickers, didn't it seem like? <laughs> and now they can't get anybody. Right. But... There's got to be at least 12 guys a year that can be at least as good as Mason and probably five that are much, much better that come out every single year, and you probably wouldn't have to get one before the fifth or sixth round. I don't see why you stick with this guy. But they will, I'm sure, like you said. Before we move on to the rest of the NFL, we did have a Facebook comment that was shared with us today that we'd like to share with you now. Uh, Matt, if you want to address that. Sure, uh, and and Jason Chastain, uh, one of our great listeners, commented on our post here and, and said that there seemed to be problems on both sides of the ball. Um, obviously, he's talking about the 49ers game uh, specifically, but the defense dug a hole that the offense had no chance of overcoming. Uh, when a rookie quarterback sets a rushing record in the process of beating you, it's time to take a look at what's going on. It felt like the defense made no effort to adapt to what the 49ers were doing, and we saw the result. Mm-hmm. So pretty much exactly what we had said, and I, I think that's really kind of the overwhelming feeling uh, with Packers fans today, but I, I think he hits it spot on. I don't know if you have any comments about that. I, I think it's pretty much clear-cut and 100% correct. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's They pretty much didn't expect Colin Kaepernick to run, it appeared at times, which is uh, kind of ridiculous. A guy who's only had eight career starts and... Uh, yeah, just very disheartening, like we we mentioned before. It looked like this looks like a team that's built to win Super Bowl 40 as opposed to Super Bowl 47. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, definitely frustrating. We did have some other Facebook comments that we were unable to address in past weeks. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the things that were being addressed in the comments that Caleb had shared with us are kind of outdated now. So we could look like brilliant people and pick all the right answers about who was going <laughs> to win some of the wild card games. But um, sorry, Caleb, that we weren't able to get to those. I guess since we're we're here, um, we should congratulate Caleb and his wife Sam on the birth of their son Jackson. We w- weren't able to talk about that last week. Uh, so congratulations to them. Way to go, Sam and Caleb. There you go. All right, so let's talk about the other three games that happened this weekend in the divisional round. Real quick, Matt, I don't know if you were paying attention last week, but I said I expected Peyton Manning to struggle. I picked the Falcons to win, and uh, both of us picked the Patriots to win. But obviously that makes me uh, uh, probably the smarter half of Green Goal forever, doesn't it? <laughs> well, it seems like it. And you <laughs> You texted me when the Falcons were blowing out the Seahawks, though, and you're like, do I seem like the smartest guy ever for picking the Falcons when nobody else did? And then they started coming back, and it's like, hold on there. I guess the Seahawks are going to pull this one off. But, um, yeah, good picks. I guess uh, you definitely didn't pick the Ravens to win, though, so I'd no, I didn't. say hold on there. So Yeah, no, but, I didn't think they'd win. I think we both expected a pretty good game there. I didn't expect Baltimore to win that. Maybe mm-hmm. expected Peyton to not play great, but I thought they were good enough to win with the rest of the pieces they had there. So, um, mm-hmm. obviously, 
I had asked for some good games this weekend, and we got them. Unfortunately, we came out on the losing end of ours, and mm-hmm. ours was probably the worst of all four. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, was, it was great to finally see some good football games, and all the other three were really entertaining. Well, I'll, two of the other three were very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, the Houston one kind of teased it, that they'd come back yeah. at the end. But um, was Joe Flacco the best quarterback that played this weekend? Yeah, I'd, I'd say pretty clear cut. I mean, Brady played well, but he didn't have to do as much. And, and Flacco missed a couple of throws there for, at a stretch, kind of in the middle of the game. But in the beginning, and obviously towards the end, he was unstoppable. And I have been a Joe Flacco hater for most of his career, and I've never really believed in him much. But it it seems like he turns it on in the postseason. And mm-hmm. last year in the AFC Championship against New England, he outplayed Tom Brady. This year he outplays Peyton Manning. And he hit some great throws. I know that, uh, that Denver safety kind of gave him a... Yeah, a, a gimme at the end of the regulation there to tie the game, but I, he played really well, and I I got to give him credit for that. I mean, he looked as as good as I've seen him, and he uh, definitely outplayed Peyton Manning. And I haven't been watching much of ESPN or NFL Network. I tend not to, uh, regardless these days, but especially not after a Packers loss. Right. I was curious if you had and what how they were portraying uh, Peyton Manning's overtime interception and. Uh, I'm always a little more sensitive, I think, to the treatment of Brett Favre. I feel like he's a knucklehead and kind of an idiot, but he definitely gets beat down more than his fair share, especially come playoff time. Were anybody giving it to Peyton Manning about him basically throwing the game away with a Brett Favrean interception? Yeah, pretty much everybody that I heard was. And I I know you and I, especially, and even after they won the Super Bowl, still were kind of like, man, this guy just never really plays that good in the playoffs. And mm-hmm. as we kept seeing it happen, you know, more and more and over and over again, you know, it kind of started getting louder with the media. Mm-hmm. And then eventually it seems like after you know, Saturday's game, it just kind of exploded yesterday and today. And it seemed like everybody was talking about how bad he is in the playoffs now. <laughs> and he's, I think, 9-11 in the postseason mm-hmm. now after that game. Uh, tied for most losses ever. Wow. And he has a losing record. So, yeah, it's definitely getting louder, and I think I heard a lot of people even today talking about his legacy and how it's not going to be what it should be because he can never seem to do anything in the playoffs. So mm-hmm. I feel like the critics are definitely getting louder. It's not just you and I anymore, and, and everybody else is kind of starting to realize this too. And mm-hmm. uh, you got to feel for him a little bit, but really it's it's a trend, and it it's kind of strange how a guy can be so good in the regular season and make so many boneheaded plays in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at times just looks he, – he played pretty well for most of the game on Saturday. But, you know, some of those games in Indianapolis, I remember 05 when they lost to, to Pittsburgh and the Bettis fumble game and some of those other ones where they just look inept. <laughs> like not even, you know, just choking it away. They just can't move the football. Right, and, yeah, and they couldn't move it towards the end of that game. And if it weren't for two Trendon Holiday return touchdowns, they might have been completely out of the game. Mm-hmm. Did you read that Deadspin article about Trendon Holiday a couple of I weeks ago? No. Uh, he played for the Houston Texans to start the season when they were 5-0, and got cut before the Packer game, and then signed with Denver. So he had a 16-0 and regular season. Nice. And uh, so he had a chance to be the first player to ever go 19-0. and But uh, he did his part, obviously, but the rest of the team weren't able to, to rally around him and, and make him the perfect player this year. Yeah, what are the Texans doing? We saw Jacoby Jones and Trendon Holiday in that <laughs> game were uh, both cuts from them recently, return guys, and they both had a, a huge games, and they both had really good seasons too. So it kind of wonder makes you wonder what they're doing over there cutting all these guys. But Some, Somebody ought to go sign Dominic Davis or, or, or Corey Bradford or one of these guys <laughs> and go win some titles. Yeah. I guess let's make our picks for the conference championship games, and then we've run pretty long here, so then we can wrap it up. But let's start with the early game, which is the San Francisco 49ers traveling to the Georgia Dome to play the Atlanta Falcons. Who do you got in this one? 
Oh man, this is a tough one. I I want so badly to pick Atlanta, but mm-hmm. and I, until Saturday, I never really believed that Kaepernick was um, an elite quarterback or was going to be even. But I, I kind of had to change my tune, I think, a little bit after seeing him just completely whoop us. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I really want to pick Atlanta, but I it's pretty hard. I I think I have to go with San Francisco here, mm-hmm. um, and I'm I'm thinking it might be kind of convincing. I don't think Atlanta's defense is very good, and I I don't think Matt Ryan can keep up and I'm, I'm going to be rooting for him because it would be nice to see San Francisco go down and Matt Ryan maybe start to get some credit in a, a Falcons team that's never won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess I have to go with San Francisco. Yeah, and I'm actually going to pick the Falcons. It sounds kind of stupid, but I don't think their defense is going to try to get to Kaepernick quite as much as the Packers did, so I don't think those running lanes are going to be there. Mm-hmm. And I think you saw glimpses of it against the Packers that when they actually did make him stay in the pocket – he wasn't all that great at passing the ball. So I think right. they'll be able to slow him down. And if they're able to just kind of let him stand back there and try to beat him with the pass, I think they're going to have some opportunities to win. Uh, what scares me more, I guess, is if Atlanta's offense is going to be able to move against San Francisco. But mm-hmm. um, th- their vertical passing game has been pretty much as good as anybody's the last two years. So they'll probably hit their fair share of big plays. They're at home. They finally got the monkey off their back. Um, so I think Atlanta, it's going to be close, but I think if Atlanta can even contain Kaepernick running uh, at all, I think that they'll be able to win. Okay. And I guess the other one, obviously, is a rematch. Oh, Matt, real quick, I realized this today that I've been asking for a worthy champion for the longest time, and this is the first time since 92 and 93 that three of the four teams in the conference championship round are the same from the year before. So uh, do you want to guess who those three teams are? It's about the easiest one you'll ever have in this game. And what year was the last year it happened? 93. Oh, so I'm assuming it's probably San Francisco, Dallas, and uh, Buffalo? You are correct. Nice. And the odd um, teams out were the Dolphins and Chiefs. Those were the two uh, that flip-flopped. Uh, who do you got in the rematch of the last year's very good AFC Championship game? This is a tough one for me, too, and I think I'm actually going to go with the upset here and say Baltimore. Um I, I think New England's the better team, but I just think that Baltimore's got so much on their side right now. And with, if Joe Flacco can play like he played last year, I, I think that they, they obviously should have won that game last year if it weren't for a couple of big blunders down the stretch. They've really impressed me down down the stretch here in the playoffs. Obviously, their defense isn't as good as it has been, but they have that extra motivation with Ray Lewis retiring here after this year, and I think it's really propelled them. And mm-hmm. I can see this being an emotional game for them, and... You know, I think New England's a better team, like I said, but I, I just feel like Baltimore's going to pull this one out here. This team's been on the verge for five years now with the same team, basically, mm-hmm. and I, I think this is their last chance, really, to go for it with that defense, and I, I think that this is the year they get it done, finally. Yeah, and I almost want to pick the Patriots just because I don't want the Ravens in the Super Bowl. I find them a boring team, and uh, I know you really like Ray Lewis, but this whole retirement party of his is kind of getting on my nerves a little bit. It's getting old a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and so, but I think you're right because I think the Patriots are a better team, but the, the Ravens are a good matchup for New England, and if we're talking about law of averages for a guy like Aaron Rodgers, it would be absurd if this Ravens team never got to a Super Bowl right. the way they've played the last five years. And I don't know, I I don't want to see a Harbaugh versus Harbaugh uh, Super Bowl, so at least I hope I'm right with my NFC pick if the Ravens right. do end up winning. But I, I think I'm going to agree with you. I think the Ravens are going to win. I think it'll be a high-scoring game like it 
was last year and like their matchup was earlier this year, but I think another maybe last-second field goal, and I think the Ravens can pull it out in the high 20s, low 30s. So, oh, a lot of bird teams right now. I, got, I, don't, I don't want them. Ravens against the Falcons. If that was a Madden season I was playing, I'd restart. Restart the season. Yeah, I mean, that definitely wouldn't feel like a Super Bowl, but, you know, two teams that have kind of been around there, it might be kind of exciting. Yeah, they've earned their way at least. Right. I think I might cheer for one of those other teams I don't want to win, though. If, say, if uh, Atlanta pulls off the upset, I might cheer for New England just it's a more entertaining Super Bowl for me. But, yeah, yeah, Falcons-Ravens, I don't know if I really want to see that. Uh, Well... We'll see. I guess uh, I, I think that the Niners versus the Patriots is probably the marquee matchup remaining, but we'll see. All right, so that wraps it up for the final analysis of the final Packer game of 2012. Of course, the Packers lost one last time, 45-31 to to the San Francisco 49ers. The Packers may not have a game next week, but we're actually going to have a Green and Gold Forever episode. We're going to give our year-end awards for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, Some of them are going to be serious. Some of them are going to be fun. And if you uh, could think of a year-end award category that you'd like us to discuss, post it on our Facebook page or go to www.greengoldforever. That's the number four, .podbean.com. And you can comment on any of our podcasts there, uh, preferably this one. It will be easier to find. And then uh, give us an idea for what you want for the end of the year awards. So we'll have some of that, and we'll preview what's sure to be a very dull Super Bowl matchup that's going to be coming up in New Orleans in a couple weeks. So until then, uh, thanks for joining us, and I hope you enjoyed our coverage of the Packers this season, and I hope you'll stick with us through the rest of this playoff run here. So for Matt Alton Lacrosse, I'm Eric and Oshkosh. Take care, everyone.